And the winner is... Arctic Monkeys! That subscriber content, eh? That subscriber content, it just won't go away. It might hibernate from time to time and sink back into the swamp. I think the cyclical nature of the universe in which it exists demands it adheres to some of its rules. But it's always waiting there, just around the corner, ready to make its way into your ears and smash through the gated payment system. Sounding better than ever. And there's nothing you can do about it. Benefits such as getting ad-free episodes a week early with pre- and post-show chat relating to the monkeys, last Shadow Puppets episodes, bonus podcasts, watch-alongs, plus helping us improve our sound with better equipment and services. Yeah, this podcast seems like it's fading away sometimes, but with subscribers, it will never die. Thank you very much for listening. We do truly appreciate it. Don't take that the wrong way. Uh, yeah, we'll invoice you for the subscription if we need to. We're Arctic Monkeys, this is Don't Believe the Art. That rock and roll, eh? Ladies! That sound means it's the end of the game. Time for the bonus question. Cheers, dude. That man just yawned. We're going to call it that. Don't Believe the Art. Hello you and welcome to another episode of Don't Believe the Hype, everyone's prime weekly purveyors of Arctic Monkeys chat. Yes, a year ago, almost to the very day, just over a year ago, Dan got in touch mm. with me and said, how about we do an Arctic Monkeys podcast? We can, can do an episode for each song and it'll just it'll just fly by. Well, here we are. We have finished album number two and all the associated songs, but don't worry, hold on to your headphones, keep them charged because we have loads more to come in the run up to Christmas. We have wrap-up episodes, we've got guests, we've got all sorts, top 10s, top 15s, top 30s, top 12s. We're going to be pitting the albums against each other. It's going to go bloody mental. But we are here every single week up until Christmas, doing exactly that before we move into the humbug era. She's very exciting. That's that's, that's it. We're here. Wrap up episode. We've, we've recorded one episode, one podcast already tonight of our other pod. Which you know, if you don't already know about it, then know about it. It's going to be in the episode description. So find it. But yes, I'm Nick Lee, and joining me as ever is sick of sticking to the floor. Well, have a fucking clean up, you scruffy bastard. It's Dan Hall. Hello, Dan. Hello. Hello. How are yes. you doing? Uh, I'm I'm good. I'm very good. It's it it's the night before my birthday, and I'm well. All was silent. Tis was the night before my birthday, and all was well. I don't know why I made that sinister, but yeah. No, I'm Do you know what I'm really hoping happens now? I'm I'm imagine. I mean, this isn't apropos of nothing. This is something we chatted about in the pre-show. If you want the pre-show chat, then go in the episode description, find all our links, like and subscribe on all our channels, but maybe think Just... about subscribing to our exclusive subscriber content where you get mm. extra stuff at the start and end of every, every episode. You get our last Shadow Puppies episodes, you get loads of bonus episodes, monthly watch-alongs, early access to the extended version of episodes, and then uh, you can and... see the pre-show chat where I mention Ian Watkins, and then it won't be so <laughs> weird now when I say, imagine Ian Watkins like, escaped tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I did the night before your birthday. I'd be quite all right, like a bit dramatic, wouldn't it? A bit of drama right into the day. I mean, I wouldn't be his target audience, would I? So I think I'd be all right, to be honest, at 35. Yeah. It, it wouldn't be a patch on Ralmo, though, would it? Depends what happens, mate. Depends that, what happens. that happened on a Friday night. Imagine going to on a Friday night thinking I'll do some karaoke and then imagine. I was yeah. I was in forty twos and there was literally yeah. people chanting Raul Mo on the dance floor. People going Raul Mo, Raul Mo, Raul Mo. One of the most surreal experiences of my life. What so, are they chanting for? What were they chanting for? I don't know. I don't think anyone knew. It was just like mob mentality. But so yeah, I, I, went, um, I went to the um, I went to the pub where my my other half at the time was working. She was finishing her shift at eight pm, and I had, I had a table booked in, in Manchester, like fancy meal and stuff, and go out for some drinks, go for cocktails. Bloody hell! And then. She just finished her shift at eight o'clock. I was like, "Well, tight ass." And Sky, 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 Sky News was on in the yeah, Sky News on in the pub, and it got to, it got to the point where the DJ was setting up to start at half eight, and everyone was just glo- everyone was going to the bar saying, "Can you turn the sound on on the telly so we can watch this?" And then the DJ's getting ready to set up. He's like, "Right, we'll be up and running with karaoke in five minutes, folks. Go to get yourself a drink." And then you get the immortal words on the Sky News ticker: uh, "Former footballer Paul Gascoigne." Has arrived at the scene. With that was the bit, wasn't it? And that chicken. Was and I was like, "We're going nowhere, love. I'm I'm phoning that restaurant and we're cancelling because I'm staying there." And I did. I stayed. The DJ cancelled. DJ did nothing. 
Oh my, he got paid to do nothing because everyone was glued to it. What a day. That was our 9-11 now. We know our Nick's single. And speaking of Nick being single and Nick's exes, uh, on the pre-show chat, we did our top five, or the top five breakup songs of all time. So check out that if you want. And also soon, so it might be live now, but if not, it'll be live soon. So check out our socials. On Patreon, say say you're a Patreon subscriber, or you don't want you don't want to be a Patreon subscriber because you don't want all the benefits and you don't want to be tied into a monthly contract. We will soon be launching a shop on Patreon where you can just simply pick and choose episodes you want to buy. So you might want to buy a Shadow Pup, you might want to just do the Shadow Pups episodes and buy each one, or you might want to just buy um, like a, a a watch along, like we just did our submarine watch along um, and stuff like that. You can we can do live at the Apollo very soon, so you could just just buy. Just buy stuff from the show. You go, oh, I fancy that one. Um, Calm like you use my favorite Shadow Puppet song. I'll pay the amount there to have the video or even cheaper just to have the audio. So, yeah, that'll be available soon. So, if you don't want to be tied in but you're interested in the content, head to the shop, head to our socials. Yeah. And, and while you're at it, generally, we, we, we do this because we love it. We, we don't, we're not doing this to make some big windfall out of it. Chance would be a fucking fine thing. But <laughs> yeah, basically, that's why we have a different podcast. We're always looking to like improve the show and stuff. So if, if there's anything you want from us that we're not already offering ahead of series three coming starting next year, get in touch. Arts Monkeys Podcast. Get in touch. Get but in touch. Speaking of tonight, the, so this is wrap up part one. So we're not doing our list tonight because we, we need an extra week to think of them, but we will basically just be going on on favorite worst nightmare. So all the information about the album that we've only done individual tracks, reviews of the album, a new feature. Speaking of new things, it's just tonight. We've the new jingle. That I'm going to be introducing the format of for next season, but also bringing it in tonight. Um, some reviews, some ghost cookies. That's what tonight's going to be. And then just a little bit general chat about our thoughts on the album before we head into doing our lists next week. So that's the vibe we're laying down tonight. But so speaking of, shall we? We've got no song to play. So shall we do the information and I'll get cracking? Yeah, do that on this one because it's a wrap yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I don't don't think I already counted that in, mate. Seven weeks of it. Uh, Favorite worst nightmare is the second studio album by English rock band The Arctic Monkeys. We know that released on the twenty third of April two thousand and seven. Uh, by Domino. It was recorded in East London's Millico Studios with producer James Ford and old Mike Crossy. The album was preceded by Brian Storm, which, as we know, came out on the 2nd of April 2007. Um, this, obviously, again, as we all know, was the first album without Mr. Andy Nicholson, but it was Nick O'Malley. In comparison to the April album, most people consider this more musically ambitious, with ambient sounds and expanded drum rhythms being introduced, yes? As with their debut, it was a widespread critical success, with critics highlighting the band's new emotional depth and frontman Alex Turner's matured songwriting. Enemy uh, and Uncut ranked it the second best album of 2007, what was the first? While well, Dutch publication ooh, ooh, <laughs> named it the best of 2007. Retrospectively, the album is considered the start of the band's change of sound with each of their albums after each debut. I guess that's true. I, I don't think I see the next album as more the beginning of their change of sound than this one, if I'm being completely honest. Although this is a slight change of sound, I really think that that full strip change starts with Humbug, to be honest. Right, right. Do, do, you, do you want to know? God, please, please tell me it's at least something I can respect and go. Yeah, fair play. Right. When when you said what was number one, a band popped into my head that I thought it would be, and it is them. So from the top ten, just a, a couple worth pointing out. Uh, number nine was the Cribs, Men's Needs, Women's Needs, whatever. Great album. Good album. This is Enemies um, list. This is the Enemy top yeah, yeah. fifty best albums of two thousand seven. Uh, number eight was Puzzle by Biffy Clyro. Yeah, not bad. Um, six Kings of Leon because of the times, which was, which was, I think that's is that their third album where it goes a bit shit halfway through and then they never recovered. Um, so number four is Neon Bible by Arcade Fire, fair mm-hmm. enough. Three is quite possibly my second, second or third favorite album of theirs, In Rainbows by Radiohead. I mean. Really, number two. should be potentially number one in this list, but go on. Number two, favorite worst nightmare. Well, well, 
given what I've seen at number one, I'd rather have Radiohead at, at number one. <laughs> um, number two, obviously, favourite nightmare. Number one, do you do you want to have a guess at something that hit the zeitgeist at that time? But well, hang on. So favourite was nightmare critic score. The critic score is seventy nine from thirty reviews, and the number one has a critic score of sixty eight from twenty. Enemy, enemy must be allowed to one. intervene. <laughs> yeah, yeah, apparently so. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll give you what I'll do. I'll give you the little blurb that they wrote about the number one album. But I'll take right. I'll I'll I will redact the band name, and we'll see if you can guess it from that. Okay. Whether blank will reshape our world into a fluorescent mythtropolis as successfully as the Strokes turned the monotune remains to be seen, but their debut has the anatomy necessary to change the course of a generation. Just lies. <laughs> fluorescent mythtropolis, I think, is the phrase you want to be digging out of there. Fluorescent mythtropolis. And one of the members has featured on an Arctic's album, and... Another of the members, I believe, is featured on the third Libertines album as well. Oof. I... And one of them is married to my one of my most hated act female actors <laughs> of this generation. I can't go on. I can't. <laughs> Paxons. Oh yeah, it's fair produced by James Ford though. Good album. It's not Favourite Worst Nightmare good. And Favourite Worst Nightmare no. is very close to being my... It's quite possibly my least favourite AM album by this point now. Yeah, but that album was huge because I remember at the time being really annoyed about everyone saying the Claxons were better than Arctic Monkeys and being furious about it. And then that probably would have been really pissed me off when I read the enemy had called it better than it. But both produced <laughs> yeah. by James Ford, so at least he's getting in there twice. Um, but yeah, so so in comparison to their debut album... Oh, no, sorry. In its first week of release, the album sold over 227,000 copies in the UK, going straight to number one on the album's chart. Um, and as we know, Brian Stonefast and Alice were also both hits on the UK singles chart. The album debuted at number seven on the Billboard 200, which is pretty good, selling approximately 44,000 copy, copies in its first week. The album has since been certified four times platinum in the UK. It was nominated for the 2007 Mercury Prize and won Best British Album at the 2008 Brit Awards. Uh, the album's title came from the lyrics to Deers for Dangerous, but other band names, uh, album names considered were Lesbian Wednesdays, Gordon Brown, and Gary Barlow. In an interview with NME, Nick O'Malley announced several songs, including Deers for Dangerous and Balaclava. The tracks The Bakery and Plastic Tramp also mentioned in the NME interview by Nick O'Malley as being on the album. That's interesting, isn't it? Did not make He's it. He's talking out of school here, isn't he? Yeah, yeah Jeffy, you got police. You've only just joined this fucking band. Why are you doing yeah. press interviews on your own for? <laughs> Even him that. for a dressing down. <laughs> uh, nah, not, after the, not after the bass, he'd slam down on the album. He could do what he wanted. Yeah, uh, the track, the tracks, the bass. Uh, sorry, um, but they were obviously later released as B sides. But that's interesting. Yeah, um, the track "Leave for Last One" was rumored to be included on the album, but that would have been. Well, they did it with Value Mine, I guess, but feels different. Um, half of different, yeah. very different. Half of the album's songs were debuted at concerts before the release of the album, and they recorded quickly as they wanted to start touring as soon as possible. Uh, the album's cover art features a black and white photograph of a house in the Garston district of Liverpool, with colourful cartoonish images visible through its windows. This marks the second consecutive time the band used a photograph taken in Liverpool as the album cover. For what people say, and that's what I'm not. We're taking Liverpool, as we know. The music on the album has been char characterized as post punk revival, indie rock, garage rock, and post Britpop. Yeah, if you, if you want to start so making stuff up, a bunch of phrases that mean fuck <laughs> Yeah, yeah. In comparison to the band's debut album, the album is described as very, very fast and very, very loud. I think the first album's faster, personally. Being seen as I'm louder and louder, more ambitious, heavier, and with a fiercely bright production. That's true. Reflecting the band's travels around the world more than the local stories of the first record. Um, it's a faster, meaner album. The album arguably has influences from The Smiths twanging quasi-ambient backdrops and Turner's voice crooning like Morrissey or Richard Hawley. Uh, 
Matt Helder said James was DJing loads in the evening. Uh, James Ford was DJing loads in the evening, so we'd go out and have a dance. As a result, the drum rhythms of Helders and bassist Nick O'Malley have drawn comparisons to the 80s funk band ESG. The band's love of classic films also influenced their new style because, as we know, they used uh, 505 from Ennio Morricone's The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Um, just to let you know, Alex Turner was credited as lead vocals on guitar on all uh, 1 to 11 of the tracks. Sorry, lead vocals on all the tracks. Guitar on 1 to 11 because didn't play on that. Keyboards on track 12. Uh, Jamie Cook, guitar on 1 to 5, 7 to 12. Backing vocals on 1. What was that? <laughs> Matt Helders obviously drummed on all the tracks and backing vocals on most of them as well. And missed. It says Nick O'Malley bass guitar on track one, three to five, eight and ten. So he didn't do it on Urgella Bricks, the bass. He didn't do it on 505. And he didn't do it on. No, nine is If You Were There Beware, isn't it? Nine, I believe, is If You Were There Beware. So he didn't play bass on If You Were There Beware. He didn't play bass on 505. And he didn't play based on all Jello Bricks. Interesting, isn't it? So, what, what, so what, what numbers did he play on? I'll, I'll just double he, he played on. He played on one, which is Brian Storm. Oh, he didn't play on Teddy Picker either. He didn't play based yeah, on Teddy yeah, Picker. Yeah, no Teddy Picker. So he didn't play based on Teddy Picker. He played based on D's for Dangerous, Balaclava, Floss and Adolescent. He didn't play based on track six, which is the only ones you know, but on doesn't really have any bass till the yeah. end. So that was probably just 40. Um, he didn't play based on track seven. This house is a circus. No, track seven no, is do, do me a favor. So he didn't do the baseline that we raved about him doing on do me a favor. So, uh, do, 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 do you think it's reasonable do, 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 do. to assume it might have been Alex doing it? Or well, he isn't, he isn't credited as bass. He isn't, it doesn't say additional musicians, James Ford guitar. So potentially bass is thrown into that guitar. No, no, it only says James Ford did guitar on track six. Yeah, so that was the only ones you know. Right. So the bass must have been... Uh, oh, here we go. The bass... No, I didn't say who else did it. So, yeah, we assume it's Alex, but he didn't take the credit, perhaps, because he thought it was a bit cunty to take the credit. So, um, so yeah, he didn't do it on he didn't do it on track six, which only ones you know, obviously, The House of the Circus, but he did do If You Were There Beware. Sorry, do me a favour. He did do The House of the Circus. He didn't do the bass on If You Were There Beware, and he didn't do the bass on All Jello Bricks or 505, which is a shame, really. So it's a lot of the great bass lines were credited to him. He didn't do. <laughs> Bring Andy back. Yeah. No, so yeah. I we'll mean, when, when we get to my favourite, I mean, we're, we're a few series off getting to my favourite Nick O'Malley bass line, but when we do, that's another one that wasn't recorded well, by him. When we, um, when we, now I think from next season now, I'm going to cross-reference who gets credited for each episode so we can say it on each one because I wasn't aware of that at all. Um, but he was credited. Oh no, I've done a boo-boo, Nick. <laughs> I made a big mistake. <laughs> Sorry, I'll get, I'll get the wet wipes. Uh, Nico Ali is credited for bass guitar on every track on this album. What he's credited for on those ones I just went through were backing vocals. Backing vocals. So made a mistake. Yeah, yeah, we've we've just had a terrible time of it there, haven't we? Yeah, we, we, we have been we have been we have been drinking quite a lot this evening. So there is that. Uh, put that out really, but nah, nah, I can't be asked putting anything oh. out at the minute. To be honest, uh, additional musicians: James for birthday, James Ford. Um, so James Ford did guitar on track six, and Miles Kane guitar on track twelve, as we know. Um, James Ford production mixing on tracks two, six, ten, and eleven. Same for um, Mike Crossy and Alan Mulder did the rest. Uh, the artwork was done by Juno, who, if you remember, they did the first album, and they're based in Liverpool, which explains why both was in Liverpool. Uh, Matthew Cooper did the layout. Joseph Bramall did the illustrations. Graphic Club did the illustrations. Drew Millward did the illustrations. Al Hyten did the illustrations. Anne Marie Moore did the illustrations. Tobias, <laughs> there were dozens of us, did the illustrations. Design for did the spray can murals. And Matthew Goodfellow did the photography. So there you go. Do you fancy some? Oh, um, yeah. Should we do some ghost cookies, Nick? What do you think? You could say they're selling like ghost cookies. Nick, not had that for ages, have we? Um, what, do you, what do you? We're going to be getting it. Yeah, yeah, quite soon. Um, what? 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 We've got. Okay, in the UK. So remember, I said it went four times platinum. What do you? Not that that ever helps. What do you no, think? No, it doesn't. <laughs> what do you think? It, it sold. And look at your phone. I can see you cheating. <laughs> No, I'm not actually. I was looking at my laptop. 
which <laughs> has no screen because I'm plugged into a telly here. So fuck off. I um <laughs> see. I've I've not even bothering to. Obviously, we've had this question a number of times. The, the ghost cookie thing. We've had this little game going on, and every time I try and take the figures from the last one that we did and bring it and try and use that to inform, and it never fucking works. So, see, and and there's no way of knowing whether like where the figures stop, like the, the amount of sales, like because people are still buying it now. Like with the vinyl revival, people are still buying that album now, and we just don't know where the sales go up to. I'm going to say 1.2. No, 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 the figures do stop. I think in the first year, I can confirm that for for these ones anyway. These older ones, that is true. How many times plotting them? Four. 1.4 million. 1.2 million. I didn't tell you to change it. I just pointed out no, that. Oh, no, it was you a... didn't. Oh, no. <laughs> I've been drinking. Well, Nick, can you play the Ghost Cookies jingle again, please, for me? <laughs> With pleasure, pal. You could say they're selling like ghost cookies. In Australia, this album went gold. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> How many, how many copies do you think sold in Australia, Nick? I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna help you out and say vastly lower than than the UK one. Yeah. So in between forty six and one point two million, so somewhere, yes. so somewhere in there lies the answer. Uh, two two hundred and ten thousand. Thirty five thousand. Thirty five thousand to go gold in Australia. It's just a lot of land, isn't it? So there's not as many. And I suppose people. they don't really have time to be buying records, do they? Because they're all like avoiding what is basically the world's biggest collection of poisonous things. <laughs> yeah, so they don't have time whilst, to be going down to HMV, do you? Whilst living what what is um, basically the world's largest prison. Um, so yeah. can I have the ghost cookies jingle again? <laughs> you could say they're selling like ghost cookies. <laughs> okay, this is based on sales since 2009. Very clear since 2009 in Italy. And it went gold in Italy since 2009. It's gone gold. I will say this the number is lower than the last one. So that helps you a bit. 20,000. 25,000. So close. <laughs> Can we not have a uniform sort of thing about how many records it should be to get the platinum? It's like, imagine different like, countries, when, in it, when... different people. Different amounts but is it of like when, when they go into the when they go into after the album's been released, it's been out a few months, and they go, they come back from the tour and stuff, and then they go into the big meeting at Domino at Domino HQ. And it's mm. like, oh, sh- your album's uh, album's gone uh, four times platinum. It's like and, and like all the lads are like, yes, get in there. And Jamie's like, whoa, whoa, hang on, hang on, lads, hang on. We we don't know where yet. Where, where have we gone four times platinum? And then um, the guy, the head of Domino has to be like. Uh, you've got four times putting them in, uh, in Italy. It's like what? It's Italy. <laughs> Isn't it like seven copies to go putting them over in Italy? So we're not even celebrating that. Fuck off! And then Jamie's <laughs> off to the pub. Jamie's like, "I'm going. I'm going pub. You're coming, lads." So you don't like them. In the immortal words of Busted, everybody bought our seventh album. It went multi-platinum, and it outsold Michael Jackson. If you if you want to hear more about that, listen next week to Liquor and Lyrics podcast. <laughs> but Nick, can I have the ghost yeah. cookies jingle again, please? <laughs> you could say they're selling like ghost cookies. In Japan, this album <laughs> went gold in Japan. When we get to AM, I'm gonna be doing every country in the world. Where when it went in Japan, it went gold. Tell me. Now I will say this: it's below the UK, but it's higher than Italy no. and Australia combined. The Japanese bloody love British bands. They they go mental. I've I've seen they videos do? of the Liber- I've seen videos of the Libertines playing like gigs in Japan in like two thousand two three, and it's before the albums even come out, and it's absolutely insane. They absolutely because it, it's so rare that bands actually tour over there. It's normally like festivals and stuff. So when they do, so with that in mind, Japan, one hundred and fifty thousand, hundred thousand. So close. Nick, can I have a good? No, I'm joking. Uh, in its first week of release, Favorite Worst Nightmare sold 227,000 copies, as we said, which emulates the first album going in straight to number one UK albums chart, albeit selling 130,000 copies fewer than the debut in that first week. The first two singles from the album were both UK top 10 hot, 
chart hits. And the album's first day sales of 85,000 outsold the rest of the top 20 combined. While all 12 tracks from the album entered the top 200 of the UK singles chart. By September 2022, 1.2 million copies. Oh, by September 2022, 1.2 million copies of the album have been sold in the UK. And it was it was certified four times platinum in 2022, Nick. I apologize. So that 1.2 million in the UK took uh, about 15 years. Um, in the United States, as I said, it debuted at number seven on the Billboard 200, selling around 44,000 copies in its first week and became the band's first top 10 album there. It also achieved top 10 debut albums in 12 other countries, including Australia, Canada, Ireland, France, Japan, Mexico, and New Zealand. Shall we have some reviews? Arctic Monkeys released the comeback symbol, said enemy, from the greatest indie success story this decade, an opening track on the most doubter-defying second album since Modern Life is Rubbish, makes just as loud and startling an entrance. Bass guitar stampeding like Josh Homme's personal herd of rhinos. And that was ominous at the time, wasn't it? Uh, a 12-armed psychopath appears to be playing drums. Some surf guitars are flayed within an inch of their blood-gurgling life. And Alex Turner's voice is urgent, breathless, and strokes fuzzy, marshalling a ferocious rock tempest from deep elemental forces. It single-handedly announces Favourite Worst Nightmare as the fire-spewing, balls-out comeback record of your dreams. Confirms that despite speculation to the contrary, we are in the presence of a seminal generation defining rock band in the making and declares monkeys phase to go and the relief yeah and the relief is akin to keith richards cancelling his rsvp for your father's crew mention heaven knows we're worried for the wee chucks only a year after the record obliterating first week sales of whatever people say and that's what i'm not the whole growing up in public business looked to be taking a weighty toll their original basis was pushed out for a lack of love for the road the sharp drop off of album sales lent cynics to suggest they were merrily an internet anomaly and scariest of all their habit of continually releasing new material exposed a tendency towards on the road mivering uh, and a paucity of kidney exploding new tunes to match that immaculate debut. Fears were that Favourite's Nightmare would be a bad dream indeed, full of limp half tunes about never going to award ceremonies because they don't give you a trolley for all your gongs, how you can't get trustworthy servant staff these days, and real tells of what a drag it is in San Francisco. So, so wrong. Favourite Worst Nightmare is a bold, beefed up, and brilliant return, crushing all the bile and brutality of the likes of the view from the afternoon into a huge rock boulder, packing it with a hundred megatones of C4. Explosive tunage, casing it in a new steel production coating, lighting the fuse and rolling it down a steep hill into Doubtersville. Far from crumbling from the pressure, the Arctic Monkeys have turned growing up in public to their advantage. We've followed them seamlessly through their growing pains on Sheffield dance floors, their anti-scene team rants, their broken teeth and stolen sweethearts. Now, if the first album was the sound of a bunch of bolshy boys kicking against the Yorkshire club scene pricks, Nightmare is four young men off the world of casting aside their juvenile naivete and emerging stronger, savvier and well more salacious. Grrr. It's all there in track two, Teddy Picker, a song that sounds like fake tales on a barrel full of Sly Stallone's highest grade steroid supplements and encapsulates the monkey's latest concerns. Number one, dark yet jaunty desert rock like Queens of the Stone Age might play at a limbo contest. And two, sex, shagging, rumpity-pumpity, bumping uglies, making the beast with two arses. If sex on whatever people say, I'm meant the odd flustered fumble around the back of the lead mill. Here it's a far more degraded affair. The teddy picker of the title is a brutish and dominating sexual character, possibly getting his knuckle sandwich your lisp replace the twist and turn. Coupled with Alex's final bark of who'd want to be men of the people when there's people like you, it leaves a sinister question mark over the track charged with sexual and physical violence. I don't I love <sighs> how that that review starts with that little joke about Keith Richards. Now if I'd read that, if I'd read that at the time, I would have thought that's not gonna no one's gonna get that in 2023. But I got it. Got it straight away. <laughs> I remember that new story. It's fantastic. So, so the gist of it was that Keith Richards' dad died, and Keith Richards mm. snorted the ashes with some coke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then people were up in arms about it. There's a way to do it. People get ashes tattooed in them, so why not? Um, and favorite, and just to cap it off with favorite was now like, even subverts Hollywood's biggest truism: the sequel's better an unforecasted hurricane. So there you go. Um, the BBC, uh, no, sorry, not the BBC. Um, 
Yeah. The gravy train. <laughs> yeah, well, I thought it was interesting. Louder Than War did a look back in 2017 at the album. And this was their thoughts looking back 10 years. It was a sign of things to come. The restlessness, the first for change, the ever-growing heaviness. Ten years ago, Arctic Monkeys had been cemented as one of the torchbearers of rock music, ushering it into a new dimension where evolution was the order of the day. In Favourite Worst Nightmare, the growing pains that were so quaint and cute in their debut were abolished like the acne that had attacked Alex Turner. As Manny would say, they came back with hairs around their knackers. Man, they know how to play. The pantheon of great artists usually has a number of checklists, and one of them, aside a usual Herculean intake of drugs, booze, and Courtney Love, was that they saw it as their duty to mutate, explore, and change. Like the Beatles and Radiohead before them, Arctic Monkeys weren't going to stand still. The grass had barely grown under their feet following the release of their first album, and they were already prepping their new records. Hey Dan, do you like listening to popular songs with questionable lyrics? You know I bloody do. And Nick, do you like drinking copious amounts of alcohol? Nah, do I ever. Actually a worry. Well, if you're the same as us, then come listen to weekly podcast Liquor and Lyrics, where we take apart popular music's worst songwriting whilst drinking our favourite drinks, which kind of stay in theme with the song. From gin and tonic to grease lightning. Cosmopolitans with Chaz and Dave. Blue Lagoons with Busted. Sex on the Beach with Sex on Fire. Shirley Temples with Shaggy. And even a Shandy with Sharon. Drop it on Tuesday the 19th of September and every Tuesday after on your favourite podcast platform. Fateless Nightmare stands proudly on its own terms. They changed the game again with their next record, kicking up desert dust on the airy humbug, perhaps their least loved album. But by this point, the rules of Turner's game were in full force. Change or perish. So Nick, it is time to play a jingle for a brand new segment that we have, isn't it? Yeah, do you, should, I, should I play the jingle? I'll play the jingle and then you can tell people what the segment is. Before we do that, I just want to say, by the way, that um, j- just to highlight that this got to number one in, in um, Denmark, this album, <laughs> and in Holland. Um, so there you go. It was, it was doing bits. It was doing bits closer than the last. Doing, doing bits. I love, I love the phrase doing bits. Doing bits. Doing but what bits. we'll do, we'll, we'll play the new jingle. Listen carefully. To, listen to the new jingle and see if you can hear the jingle. When you hear it, see if you can work out what it's going to pertain to. But if you can't work out what it's going to pertain to, it's fine. Because the lovely Dan, my glamorous assistant Dan, will be here to... Yeah, my glamorous assistant. Like, like, I'm, like I'm the one who gets A, an assistant, and B, a glamorous one. Fuck That's since the court case. Let's play the jingle. Technological Uh, well, I thought because they kind of change even more for the, the next album onwards, I thought it was interesting to each week give a, a list of the equipment that was used in the track that was recorded, the pedals, the guitars. I, I, you know, it's not going to be a perfect science. I'm not going to be able to, to find stuff on every song every week. Hopefully I will be able to find something at least. But I'm not going to get a full list of equipment each week from each band member. But, you know, I just want to see what we can find out on each track. But as we're doing a wrap-up, I thought I'd give some info on the equipment used for the first two albums when we didn't have this segment. So we'll start with Mr. Nick O'Malley. So he primarily, on the Fate Worst Nightmare, used a Rickenbacker 3001 wow. or a Rick 3000 short scale. Oh. And... People potentially feel like you can also hear a P bass, but I will caveat that by saying that that was what Andy used in the first album, a P bass, so there could be some confusion in the mix. But yeah, that, that's what he used, and you can see those basses in the Teddy Picker video. To be honest, man, you had me at Rickenbacker. I, yeah, I hear Rickenbacker, and I just lose my shit. They are glorious. <laughs> um, Mr. Matthew Helders, the third, uh, he used is primarily a Premier Gold Sparkle Vintage Drum Kit. We have a 22-inch bass drum, a 12-inch tom, and a 16-inch floor tom. Uh, also uses the Premier Series Elite drum kit in custom Union Jack finish, as we know. Um, that has a 20... That's um, he, We saw it in Second City, but apparently he, he had it knocking about even in these days, apparently, in the background. Oh, nice. The Union Jack tom, you know, he didn't just have it made for the Olympics, is what I read. Oh. Um, can't confirm that, but that was what was out there. And he also uses a 1971 Ludwig drum kit in black bowling ball wrap. Um, he uses that a lot 
in the first album. Um, 22 by 14 inch bass drum, 13 inch by 9 inch tom, 16 by 16 inch floor tom, and a 14 inch by 6.5 supraphonic snare drum. Um, his symbols, Nick, that he likes are the classic Zil de Jam, 14 inch dark K high hats, dark K crash symbol, and dark K crash ride. Mr. Alex Turner, fittingly for the Arctic Monkeys frontman, Alex Turner's first guitar was the Arctic White Fender Stratocaster. He played the guitar extensively during the early days of the career, carrying it around Northern England's clubs and dive bars and use it to record his guitar parts for the debut album. It accompanied Alex through the band's meteoric rise to fame, appearing on subsequent album Favourite Worst Nightmare and occasionally on tour until 2010 when it was sold at a charity auction to raise funds for the victims of Haiti. Um, it sold for £4,600. I would have bought that. I mean, if I had, if I had the money, enough, I would have bought that. So, some... some uh... Some wanky podcaster that I know as one of them. Well, me. <laughs> yeah, 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 I bought that exact. I've got it. It's right next to me now. Um, yep, yeah, that was the guitar I bought purely because Alex is. Um, I can't believe you still got that. That's, that's yeah, like, I, I can't believe we've not got the band going again. <laughs> I can. You, uh, once <laughs> you've heard my idea for you've heard my. I've had the best idea ever for covers band. Right, we we play covers of popular songs, but in the style of the Ramones. Yeah, the we problem is we, we we can. And we will. No, no, even we can. <laughs> yes, we can. <laughs> the Ramones couldn't sing or play their instruments. This is perfect for us, Dan. This is it. People will pay us to play their weddings. We'd mess it up. Once the band... Who would pay for that? Once the band picked up some notoriety and critical success, <laughs> Turner purchased a second Stratocaster, this time in black. Um, he um, auctioned that too for charity um, in a charity raffle for grassroots music venues in Yorkshire. It sold for £128,000. The first Stratocaster in white appears to be a USA-made 22-fret model, while its black cousin has only 21 frets, suggesting its origin in Fender's Mexico factory, which is where mine was made. Alex Turner's favoured strats featured maple necks and free single coil pickups in classic Stratocaster style. It's unlikely that his Stratocasters early on were anything other than stock off the production line standard guitars, if only because the then-teenage singer couldn't have afforded customised instruments. Accordingly, it's safe to say Stratocasters featured alder bodies, maple necks with maple fretboards, and stock Fender single-coil pickups. Um, both Stratocasters featured the classic six-screw Stratocaster tremolo system, albeit rarely used by Turner himself. In fact, Alex Turner removed the tremolo arm entirely, likely as it got in the way of his furious strumming style. It will do, yeah. Turner typically played his Stratocasters on the bridge pickup alone, relying on pedals to change his tone rather than fiddling with the knobs or pickup selector on his guitars. Now this black Stratocaster has slowly become, as <laughs> we laughing at knobs, a somewhat legendary <laughs> item. It was used on the band's first appearance at Reading Festival and Tea in the Park and Glastonbury in 2017. Uh, yes, so that's Mr. Turner. Um, he also he wielded during the Meteor Rides of Fame as the Fender Bronco as well. He used on that. Um, that was in um, some TV spots during the Fairy West Nightmare era. And it was the, the Fender Bronco was a short-lived student guitar produced by Fender from the late 60s up to 1981. Turner's finished in black is likely a later model as the earliest incarnations of the Bronco were only available in Fender's Fiesta red finish. There you go. Um, it's likely the Bronco appealed to Turner thanks to his near-exclusive use at the time of the bridge pickup on his other Fender guitars. Being one of the most recognisable guitars from the Fairy Nightmare days and well into the early stages of Humbug, this Bronco saw a fair share of remarkable performances from 2007 onwards, becoming to an extent Alex's first choice. It made an appearance on Live with Jules Holt, later with Jules Holland. That's it, yeah. As well. Additionally, um, it was played in the single debut of the Monkeys Mega Trackless Adolescent, as well as the music video for Teddy Picker. This is easily one of the most iconic Alex Turner guitars of all time. Uh, Mr. Jamie Cook they had a guitar called the Selma Futurama Bassist Major guitar for Fate Was Nightmare alongside a Gibson Les Paul ES-335 and they're both also seen in the Teddy Picker video and he also uses a Gretsch 1959 oh, yes. on Fluorescent Adolescent uh, and um, he used a Gibson ES-335 TD in View From The Afternoon and more tracks on the first album so there you go. If if money was no object and you had to go out and get a guitar tomorrow, what what would it be? What would you go for? Oh god, I'd have to go and have a look. But um, money was no object, bloody hell. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm purely looking aesthetically because I'm not a 
good. I mean, I play a bit. Yeah, of probably a Les Paul. I'm not probably a Les Paul, to be honest. See, I, I, I think Les Paul or the Gretsch, the Gretsch one, or mm. I'm a big fan of the. I think it's the Epiphone Dot. It's the one that he played during Body Paint at Glastonbury this year, and Pete Dockett has played it for years and stuff as well. So it'd be one of them, I think. Yeah, or yeah, Les Paul because you can't. You know, you're Les Paul, don't you? Nick, what? So, because we're going to be doing our list next week, so I thought we'd just have a little, you know, brief chat here. What, where, what do you think now that we've come out of this album? Because I remember coming out of the first album and thinking it was pretty big and feeling nostalgic mm-hmm. and being sad to see it go. I'm coming out of this era, not feeling that sad to see it go. Glad that we covered it, but not really that bothered. I enjoyed it. I particularly enjoyed the the album. Uh, points of the album and when we were doing it, recording it and stuff around the time they were touring and stuff. But I'm not coming out of it with a tinge of sadness to see it go, and I'm, 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 I'm raring to go for humbug. You know what I think it was? I think obviously we we both had the same sort of gateway into into the band with the demos, the Beneath the Boardwalk demo album. We both absolutely rinsed the hell out of that. First album came out. Obviously, we knew most of the songs already. It was great to have some new songs that we'd not heard before. Fantastic. And then we got, to, I think we got to a point where Arctic Monkeys fever was so high that we were just, I, th- I think, because we were young at the time, our outlook could be very different now. If this band came out now with that first album, I think we'd be quite mature about it and we'd be saying, I don't want them to rush into a second album. I want it to, yeah. I want them to do it when the time's right. But they wanted to get back out there. They wanted to see capture the momentum, lightning in a bottle, that sort of thing. And they mm. wanted to go at it, go on tour, play the play the record live and stuff like that. But having having covered it for the for the past few months, I'm gonna say it's probably my least favourite album of theirs, I think. I can't it's... imagine anything else beating it as being the least favourite. And yeah, I mean it's got some choice tunes on there that I've it's got some of my favourite tunes on there. So some of my favourites on there. But like as a whole the... yeah. If you like when we when we were talking before the tour the UK tour started and we were talking about the songs we'd like to hear dusted off, I think a lot of mine would have come from this album. Right. And and, and so first I'd lesson we got. So <laughs> it's weird. It, it's the collective, isn't it? Yeah. As a collective, it just doesn't hold up to the others oh, collectively. No, so it, it's weird and it, and then I just don't have as much um I just don't have as much love for it as the others for some reason no. even even though well, this was this was a big part of my life as well this this one just like the first album so you think it would ring the same nostalgic tunes and some did like you know teddy picker and and fast adolescent did and brian storm first time hearing that and um and then obviously like yeah if you're there beware this house of circus i love those songs but i think maybe it, i don't know maybe it's because of the way we had the old jelly bricks bad thing like two song run where we weren't like that impressed maybe that affected our thought because we didn't really have that on the first album at all well, the thing is we, we went into old jelly bricks expecting to be impressed and then just stuff came out for us in that episode that we, we didn't mm. like, and bad thing we always knew wasn't great so yeah i guess i guess that's why and I, yeah i just think i don't know it just and also some other stuff like that we found out and and we're going to be doing a pod in a couple of weeks where we go over some stuff that we missed from the first two albums and, and hearing from the band themselves talking about those things. And I think, yeah, there's some stuff where I think now I'm like, oh, did that song, mate? Did, did, is, this, this, is this This House as a Circus actually about fame or is it just about a mad party like people were saying and we were wrong and there'll be more on that when we do that pod? And it just starts to tinge it a bit where I thought it was a lot cleverer than maybe it was some of the lyrics. So then I start to look at it a different way. Whereas I know that in the future, the lyrics and the songs are great. They're not going to be affected. So yeah, maybe just it, maybe it falls into that category of the first album was a big moment and a great album. And then they change it up and do a lot of stuff that we love from then on. And this kind of just sits in this awkward place of, of slight, slight progression, but not enough progression looking back. But, yeah. but even despite that, this is the album that gave us Brian Storm and 505, like, for starters. Two of the and songs... And Teddy Picker that, and Fuss Adolescent. <laughs> yeah, but, but they've both been dropped from the live sets at some point. But in terms of Brian Storm mm. and 505, they're mainstays, and I could not, not imagine going to see them live and not hearing them two songs. And 505 yeah, wasn't true. even a fucking single. That's astonishing. 
not even a single and for someone to be that big yeah and now big as well now yeah um yeah look it's got a lot of great tunes on it it's got a lot of stuff i love on there there's a lot of lyrics that i love on this yeah, album yeah. as well it's so it's weird i can't explain why it sits where it does but when you're speaking of a band of this quality something has to fall by the wayside i guess in the you ranking and this seems to be the one so if i may it could change we could listen to one and go but considering i, I listen to tranquility based today on vinyl and i listen to the oh no what yeah well you know what there is another one that could fall beneath this though but the sands of time will tell that one. See, now I agree <laughs> with problem. you. We've had this discussion umpteen times. We've said the car could end up falling into that bottom position. I think it's clawing its way. Based on my listens recently, mm. I think it's clawing its way. I did listen I mean, to it today the, and enjoyed it. Same with you as well. The very fact that, the, that um, I ain't quite where I think I am has now clicked a bit for you. Can I suggest? Yeah, that I, might, I, and you know move what? Up on that. Today, I, when I listened to that, I listened, and we were doing a car year anniversary pod, so more on that when we go. But I listened to Mate, perhaps too, that like Mr. Schwartz and um, and the car. And uh, for the first time, maybe the most, I've got a real big atmosphere from them. I was like, oh, I was a bit like, oh, okay, yeah, that's what they're doing. So, yeah, it's a grower, not a shower, perhaps. But so, yeah, maybe this will fall there. But, but yeah, someone had to give, and I think it's this one. I think it's, it's an interesting one because. Going into when we first when we first kicked off this whole mad journey of like discussing every song like idiots, I with the first album I was quite clear at the start like, how much the album meant to me about the lifestyle like the fact I was basically living the album at the time like we both were we were both doing what the album was chatting about and then so with with whatever people say um, I can pinpoint where I was in my life. Even though Favourite Worst Nightmare came down the road like a year after, there's no I can't I can't line it up with my life in the same way I can with that. And I don't think there's really an album that I can line up with my life until we get to AM now. I don't think. Like Humbug Humbug just came out and I listened to it and enjoyed it. Um Suck It and See, I kind of it was the same, but my life wasn't mirroring the album. So it wasn't until like AM Tranquility onwards that yeah, I, I could tell you same. what my life was like at the time. Like, yeah, so, same, that's, same that's, exactly. That's not, a, that's not a slight on the album. That's just the life you're living at the time. It's not. Saying, well, it's just it's just, it's just giving giving context to why you might feel that way about it. Mm. But yeah, look, it, it is it's it's kind of some has to give in the list, and I think for both of us, this is what and and that's not something I would have said before we started this. So it's actually covering it that has shown that to light and confirmed yeah. it. So, yeah. so there you go. That's why we're doing it. But I, I can't foresee it happening anything going lower than it. But we'll see. We will see. But next week we're going to do. Um, we are going to talk more about it, and but we're going to give our lists. So we'll, as we go in that, we're going to talk more about the album. This was just to kind of give an overview of everything, which because we're going to do our favourite tracks on the album from least to favourite like last time, which it will be difficult. You know what? Because even though we say this about the album, there's still a lot to say. We do our live dream set, our dream live set of this album as well. And then we'll do our rating of the B-sides, our favourite lyric on the album, our favourite musical moment on the album. So what? a lot of thought for that. Everything you there. get from the individual episodes, you're getting it for the album as a whole. We're covering everything. Yep. And then and then the week after, well, we'll tell you then, but we got an interesting concept the week after as well. So yeah, this week, a little bit, little bit of just giving you a brief overview so we didn't give you a too long a podcast with the list as well. And then, yeah, next next week, wrap up part two with, with those lists. And um, it's going to be interesting, I think, to see whether we, because we were pretty similar with the first album on the lists of the artists where we were pretty much bang on the whole way apart from a couple so i wonder if we'll be the same this time it'll be an interesting one gonna be a very very interesting one but yeah we've got content coming at you just up until christmas really then we'll have a have a little break and then after christmas we'll we'll be dropping we'll be starting with my propeller for, for the humbug era won't we? yeah so we'll be all. we'll be running up with this until the start of december and then we'll yeah. we'll be stopping until the 6th of jan or whatever but we'll in the meet, we'll probably drop a Christmas episode in the meantime of that. So you know. Oh, we absolutely will, yeah. But do do get in touch. Go in the episode description, find all our links. Well, you're there. Like follow us on your podcast player of choice. Like subscribe, rate, review, do all that stuff. Follow us on our social media stuff. We're on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Although I'd say Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter are the best ones to find us on. Really, like Facebook's mm. just like it's all 
it's all people's mums posting like lost dogs from five thousand miles away. <laughs> we don't really want to be a, a part of that. But yeah, so so we've got plenty plenty coming for you. We do, we do appreciate people tuning in and listening every week. Uh, get in touch as well. Well, while you're in the episode description, finding all our links, find our email address. Get in touch. We we want your memories of this album. We we want we want to know what this album meant to you, where it sits for you, like what you were doing when it came out, what your first impressions were when you heard it, you, you first listened to it. Obviously, me and Dan have shared. I our, our story about when we when we first heard Brian Storm and just, just anything we we just want to chat we just want to talk to you that's all we want but we will be back next week don't forget have a look at the subscriber content as well because you can get episodes seven whole days early with a load of bonus pre and post show chat as well as our last shadow puppets episodes our watch alongs and if you subscribe you can email us pick a song and we will discuss it with the same format mm-hmm. that we do on here and we've got there's a few of them up there they're available to listen to for anyone you, you don't have to be the one to we don't just email it to the person who's picked that song they're, they're out there and it's a good way to discover some some new music mm. we've done I think, xt we've done xtc we've done nude party we've we've just we've discovered stuff we didn't know which is mm-hmm. yeah good we didn't go into it expecting that but we've fucking got it haven't we we have Yes, that is it. <laughs> Series two, episode twenty-four, done. We, we've been we've been recording another podcast and drinking, and it's just got to. I've just realised it's like eight minutes to midnight. It's like, yeah, I'm going to be thirty-four yeah, in eight minutes. Uh, Dan, Dan's, should we stay on for eight minutes? To, uh, no, absolutely not. I'd like to say I've got you a candle, but there's, there's a light. <laughs> <laughs> Hot that. Hot. Yeah. Right. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's much appreciated. Thank you, Dan, <laughs> for taking the last few minutes out of uh, birthday eve to uh, to join us here. Uh, there'll be a l- little bit of a. Uh, we'll, we'll give you a little bit of a couple of minutes of post show after for the subscribers. You know, just to might as well. Aren't yeah. You? Yeah. No else to do, have we? It's not like you've got a birthday to celebrate or anything. <laughs> Say goodbye to the nice people, Dan. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye. I'll Believe the Hype is hosted and produced weekly by Nick Lee and Dan Holt. Music used in the titles is royalty-free music courtesy of Les FM. Don't forget to subscribe on your podcast player of choice to be notified every Wednesday when a new episode is released. And if you want to help us out further, be sure to like and review to help make us more visible to like-minded souls. We'll see you next week with more of the same.